And we're going to wait till you hear something. Ask your Heavenly Father why He is proud of you. They're just going to play softly. Ask your Heavenly Father why He is proud of you. You need to hear why He's proud of you this morning. We're going to take, here, take a little time here. I'd like those of you who have heard something, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or walk up here, but just right where you're at, if the Lord shares something why he's proud of you, please just speak it out. Don't be afraid. What did you hear him tell you? I hear the Lord saying to somebody, because you've chosen to forgive. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Your father is very proud of you. Well, if we could get the lights on, why don't we turn and, fathers, raise your hands. You guys see the father's hands raised? Those of you who are not fathers, why don't you go give them a hug and tell them happy Father's Day. Amen. <laughs>
Thank you, worship team. You guys are awesome. How many of you got to go out to the park yesterday? <laughs> that was awesome. What a great time Brother Baldomero put together. We got to see the, really, I would probably say at least four of the five folds of ministry go on out there at the park. And we've seen many folks from our congregation that got to minister and share. And um, I saw Dwayne minister, and he did a great job. Um, he was, well, he was walking around and, and ministering in, in, I'd say, in the office of the prophet. He was prophetically speaking and declaring, and, and the Lord was showing him pictures, and it was awesome. And then we had teachers, there was pastors, there was evangelists. I wasn't there the whole time. I don't know if an apostle showed up or not, but there was, I saw four of the five. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Cool, pretty neat to see um, the Lord put his people together and to see the gifts, their gifts being used. And Jackson got to hear the gospel. Amen. So that's always a good thing. So praise the Lord. Today's message is not a Father's Day message. Um, <laughs> my daughter said, no, it's not. Well, actually... Kind of, sort of. It's on the Beatitudes and the attributes. This is one of the attributes of God, that he's righteous. Amen? It's where we find righteousness and, and understand it. Uh, Matthew 5, 6 says, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. Amen? <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In the Greek, it is worded this way. Blessed the hungering and thirsting after the righteousness, for they shall be filled. I like the after the righteousness. There's a little more emphasis there. It's not just hungering and thirsting for something. It's hungering and thirsting after something. You see the difference? Hungering and thirsting is just kind of hoping that it appears. Hungering and thirsting after something means you're pursuing it. So I like that in the Greek. In the, in the Greek, the word is dikaios. It means righteousness. Here's the definition. There's many of them, and they're all awesome. Righteousness is observing divine law, the divine order. You see, it's not man's law. It's not man's order. Observing divine law, the divine order. Justice, God's divine holiness applied in moral government and domain of law. Purity of heart. Being and doing right. Innocent. Faultless. Guiltless. The distinguishing characteristic, I love this. The distinguishing characteristic of the messianic age. The distinguishing characteristic of the messianic age is righteousness or justice. Now, I don't know about you, but early on in my walk with the Lord, it might not have been too early, maybe four or five years. That's still pretty early, right? Infancy. I was a little feller. I had the thought. We were working. I was surveying at the time. We were, I remember, I'll never forget, I was driving through Jenny Lynn, getting ready to go to Copperopolis. Um, we were getting ready. We were surveying the town square out there in Copperopolis. And I had this thought, heaven, in heaven, or even in the thousand-year reign, I'm going to be free. 
I'm going to be free from this Adamic nature. Now, I do understand that when Jesus comes in, he breaks that stronghold of the Adamic nature. I do believe a new nature is implanted. However, there's still that voice, and there's still a war going on, right? I'm having to fight that. And I got this just, I, and I thought then, next to seeing Jesus, this has got to be the greatest thing about heaven, to be free from that war, to be free from that fight, to be free, and everyone around you, free from that, completely righteous, just. Can you imagine that? That is what righteousness means. My first point in this message, if you're taking notes on the back of your um, bulletin, thank you. Boy, it's been a long morning already. I think I preached my socks off this morning. I better need some coffee or something. Holy Spirit, where are you at? Help me out here. Amen. <laughs> if you're taking notes on your back of your bulletin, the first point is this. What are you hungry for? When I began to read this verse, that was one of the things that just really jumped off the page for me. So I thought it beat me up pretty good. I might share it with you and see how you feel with it. <laughs> Blessed are the hungering and thirsting after the righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now is the question, what are you hungry for? There's a lot of things that can feel that hunger. There's a lot of things that we feed on that fill us. But they don't fill us for long. There's a lot of things that I can spend my time with and doing or seeing or watching or, or scrolling or whatever. And it feels. And there's even some needs that feel like they get met. But they're temporary. And then we're left empty again. Amen? What are you hungry for? That, what you're hungry for will show you a lot. There was a time in my life I was hungry for everything but righteousness. And even as a Christian, there's times I've been hungry for things that weren't righteous. There's been times I've been hungry for things that weren't really necessarily one way or the other. What are you hungry for? Here's what we know. The righteous have an appetite for the things of God. The righteous have an appetite for the things of God. Is that fair? You pursue the things of God. You're looking and listening, and you can't get enough of his word. You get in front of it a lot. You're listening to, to worship music. You're spending time worshiping your king and your father. You're hungry for more. Right? What are you hungry for? It's a challenge in this country so really, we, we, Jesus was speaking to folks that really understood hunger and thirst. I was looking at that. It doesn't mean the same to us. Most of us. Most of us haven't really been real hungry. Haven't been real thirsty. Now, I've been thirsty when I worked underground construction, especially in the middle of summer and you're soaked and wet. You're drenched through, not because you poured water over your head. Your pants are soaked through because you've sweat yourself through. And it's hot. And there's no, you're, there's no water around. And then you see the foreman's truck way on the other side of the job. And there's a, you see that 
igloo. <laughs> and you begin to thirst. Or you get off the job and you go into the store to get something and you see the cold refrigerated area and those cans and bottles and their, their little sweat drops that are coming off of them. And it's, oh, you're thirsty. And I've experienced hunger where from fasting and your, your insides start to just knot up. And then you get so hungry that the, the hunger starts to fade. But then you can come in contact with, which I learned some things. When you're on a long fast or fasting, and, and I don't normally, like I won't not go places or do things. I don't think that's, I don't punish my family. If they were going to go out to eat, we're going to go out to eat. We're gonna, so early on when we were coming here, the, I think the first time we ever went over to um, Gold Dust Pizza. You guys ever been there? Do not go there. There's, I've been to many places and ate, but that's not a good one. I would, oh my Lord, the cheeses that they use, the, the, the smell, oh, it's like cartoon stuff. Like they smell and you're just like, oh, you're, you're floating off. It's carrying you. And then visually, it's insane. It's like they took, if you had the, all the meats in the world that you could play with, and just see how high you could pile it on each piece. That's what they do. And if you have an eight, and you're in that, oh my Lord. Oh, good. Some things happened. I became very, very hungry. And I had to pray. Because... How many of you have ever experienced hanger? <laughs> oh, my Lord. That's a whole new level. That was the worst hanger I've ever had, for real. I had, remember? I, oh, that ride home was rough. <laughs> I had to go. I, I, had, I put myself in time out with Jesus. I did. I go upstairs. I'll never remember. <laughs> Thrown to Croft's house. I went upstairs, closed the door. I had to pray and pray and pray and pray. That fast almost ended. <laughs> oh, it was It was rough. What are you hungry for? And I'm not just telling a story. Like, we in this country don't know hunger a whole lot. Jesus was speaking to, to people who, they didn't just go to the fridge and just pull out whatever they wanted and just go to the grocery store. It was work. You planted seed, you watered it, you worked, you toiled the sand, you, you went and caught fish, you killed an animal. It was work. And between that, you didn't eat. You didn't work, you didn't eat, which is a whole other message. <laughs> but you would, you would be hungry. You didn't eat like five times a day like we can in this culture. Or even eat when you weren't hungry. So he was using a vocabulary in terms that they fully understood. Do we know what it is to be hungry and thirsty for the things of God? David in the Psalms wrote this, Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul pants for you. Another statement here is, Without the hungering and thirsting, there will be no feeling. There's a lot of us empty. There's a lot of us... We get used to being empty. 
You stop even hungering. You go long enough without eating, your hunger pains grow further and further and further apart. And you will stay in that condition until you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the things of him, for the things that he wants to fill you with. Point one, what are you hungry for? There's so many things we have options to eat and to fill ourselves with. So many. Most of them don't fill you. Most of them have chemicals in them that make you even hungrier. You ever notice that? Lays ain't messing around. No one can eat just one. <laughs> they make sure of it. Satan does the same thing. Let's move on to point two. There is no righteousness. We're talking about righteousness, right? There's no righteousness in self. Now, this isn't going to look like you would think. Because when I think of self-righteousness, I get pictures a lot. And I get this picture of this person with their nose up on the high and mighty, thinking they're all that in a bag of Lay's chips, right? <laughs> self-righteousness, thinking they're all that. There's another form of self-righteousness, and, and the Lord was really showing me this as I was preparing. And he said, self-righteousness will never fill you. And this is a powerful statement here, and it's going to probably linger for the remainder of this message. This is self-righteousness. Your definition of righteousness doesn't amount to much. Hear me. Your definition of righteousness doesn't amount to much. His definition of righteousness is what we're after. See, we here, and, and this is, I'm, I almost said I'm sorry. What's the right way to say that? I'm not sorry. I am sorry if this is taken wrong. I hope you understand that the spirit that I'm about to deliver this in is love. Okay? Because I love you all, I will tell the truth. Right, Pastor Denise? Because I love you. Your definition of righteousness doesn't amount to much. What does that mean? It means this. This is what I hear a lot. Well, but I'm a good person. They're a good person. They're a good person, though. But this, but that, but... That's your definition. What's his definition? I hear people say, well, my God would never send that person to hell. Well, my God would never this. Well, my God would never that. Your God is an idol. It's a self-made God that you have modeled and formed. doesn't matter what your God thinks. What does the Most High God say? 
What does the one who is righteous say? What does the one who is just say? What does the one who's perfect in all of his ways say? He's the only one that's righteous. We're in such a culture of it. We all think we have to, we've got the book on what's right. What's this? Well, how do we feel? And this feels, and I don't feel right. And this feels and feels. And I saw something on, on uh, I don't know what it was on, but it tripped me out the other day. I, didn't, I thought this was a joke. It wasn't. And I hope you hear me. This isn't political. Um, it just happened to be there was five or six black folks that had Make, Amer Make America Great hats on. And there was a person with a camera. And there was this young white girl who had a um, cool haircut, shaved head, little tiny mohawk. And she was so emphatically just indignant with these black folks saying that they were, don't you know how, what that hat does? Don't you know how that hat makes me feel? I'm hurt. You're racist. Like, what? Like, that's so whacked. But continued on, and, and I have got to say, they were so, they had so much peace. They had to have been Christians. They had so much peace. I, I couldn't have, I know I couldn't have. I would have probably slapped the snot out of her at some point. Because <laughs> some of the stuff is like, you call me racist? Like, good Lord. Like, crazy. But she kept on and then said this statement. They said, why are you so upset? Like, you should go do some homework. I, I would, they just challenge her. Go look at some facts. Go look at some facts. I have a challenge you to look at some facts. She said, it doesn't matter. The facts don't matter. I feel this. I'm hurt. So my feelings, she said, my feelings are more real than the facts. <laughs> this is the state and the culture and the times that we're in. Feelings are so deceptive. Listen to me. Sometimes you feel like a nut. <laughs> Sometimes you don't. I learned that when I was a little kid watching Almond Joy commercials, Almond Joy Mounds, right? Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. <laughs> Eat the Twix. No, I don't know. <laughs> There's nuts in Snickers, too. Your definition of righteousness doesn't amount to much. I literally, I'm going to read. But I'm a good person. They're a good person. I put blah, 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 blah. I had to type it out. I mean, right? Blah, 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 blah. See, here's the thing. We must see our self-righteousness as God sees it. It doesn't matter what we think. You, if I can drive this into you. And going back. Remember when we started these be attitudes. These attitudes are where we get blessed. They, the attitude is, is the source of our blessing. These be attitudes are so important to the Lord. It's like the constitution of the kingdom of God. And I read the end of the Sermon on the Mount purposefully. The Lord directed me to the end, which was what? You have to apply the truth. It doesn't mean squat if we just read it. We must apply it. It's on the application that we build a solid foundation, church. Amen? Not my words. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. These are also his words. 
We got to see our self-righteousness that God does. Now, I want to go into an area, and I'm going to use this one in particular. Let me, let me let you know why. There's an area of sin in our culture that the people who are involved in it are enforcing and trying to really force us to say that it's not sin. And there's really only one group of folks that do that. Most people who are alcoholics or drug addicts or murderers or pedophiles or whatever else, whatever sin you can think of, a liar, they know and will say it's wrong. Am I right? You don't have murderers going, God, it's your fault. You made me this way. You gave me anger. This is your fault. You hear me? You don't hear many liars blame God. What's well, your fault, God? I mean, you put truth out there. I, I can't tell God. I mean, you can, but you would be considered pretty odd and weird. God, you screwed up. You gave me two arms and two legs and ten toes and ten fingers and put two eyeballs right here in my head and two ears and a tongue. What are you thinking? You screwed up. I should only have one arm. And then we convince everybody that we're all supposed to have one arm. And you all need to agree with me, and I'm going to go get my arm cut off so I can prove that God was wrong. It's quiet. Are you hearing me? You're, God is righteous. I'm wrong. There's a lot of folks who've been hurt. In church, I hope you hear me. There's a lot of people who've been hurt and they're deceived. They've been hurt and they think or feel because maybe they were touched wrong. Maybe they were young and they were touched wrong from someone from the same sex. And there was a natural feeling that God put into us to have good a feeling towards being touched. But he put a boundary on who's supposed to touch and when supposed to touch. And because they were touched, then they think and feel, I'm homosexual. Because it felt good. So therefore, I must be homosexual. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Are you hearing me? And then we want, we, we are, these people groups are trying to force and indoctrinate my children and your children and society as a whole that their sin is not sin. And that's not righteous. Not because I say so. Because God, the righteous one, says so. Your feelings are blah, 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 blah. He is the just one. He is the right one. Now hear me, that doesn't give you a right to be disrespectful, rude, hateful, condemning, judgmental. None at all. The church should repent for how they've treated homosexuals for a long time. 
You don't see Christians running around with signs. All liars are going to the lake of fire. Come on. All adulterers are going to the lake of fire. No, we as Christians like to pick the sins that we don't do. So I'll throw the rocks and everything else except for the stuff. Oh, don't touch the stuff I do. Help me, Lord. I can speak this truthfully. I've worked in a jewelry store. I've sold rings to homosexuals. And some of you could think whatever you want to think about that. I look at it this way. I didn't, I didn't condone their marriage. I didn't marry them. But I'm going to treat them the same way that I would treat anyone else that came into that jewelry store. I had a guy who was not a, goes, I can't believe you sold those two women rings. I said, someone's going to sell them rings. I said, my job is to sell jewelry. Now, here's what I do know. Inside my store, Christian music's playing. And here's what I do know. Those two Christian women, not Christian women, those two women asked me, are you a Christian? After about an hour of discussing this, that, and the other, I said, yes, I am. And they went, whoa. We've never, I've never been treated like this from a Christian. I said, hon, you need to know something. Your father loves you. And I'm his son, and I love you too. Well, it messed with them. So much so, I said, can, can we sit down and talk? We had this little section. We talked. I started to ask questions. There was some trust that went on. Here's what I didn't do. We came to a point. They go, well, don't you feel? Don't you believe? Don't you? I said, no, sweetie. Here's the thing. And I told the story. See, my sin is sin. And your sin is sin. And I can't tell God that my sin isn't sin. And you can't tell God that your sin isn't sin. I'm not the righteous one, but he is. And he's declared it. I loved him. I brought him truth. I had another lady who, she was so cute. She's like in her late 80s. And she'd come in and she was had different, I'd pray for her all the time. At one point, she, she, after like, for real, like after probably the 10th time I talked with her, she, she kept, she just, it blew her away. She goes, you know I'm a lesbian, right? And I wanted to say like, no. <laughs> <laughs> she had this butch haircut. Like it, I was like, no, you're kidding. She, she came in. She began to come in and then ask me, hey, would you pray for this? Would you pray for that? Yeah, I'd love to. I never told her that her sin was okay. I never told her, you're going to hell. She knew she was in wrong. She knew she was in sin. I didn't, do, I didn't treat her any different than I treated anyone else. I got family who were homosexuals. I have family who are alcoholics. I have family who are just dirtbags. I, I have family. I mean, we all do. We, we need to find the truth. And we need to stand on the side of truth. We need to represent what righteousness looks like. 
We, we have a loving father who loves his sons and daughters, who sees a lot of brokenness, who sees a lot of hurt. And I know some of you are going to think, not everyone that's homosexual has been abused. I believe most. And there's feelings that happen, and I think I explained that pretty well. We need the truth to say, hey, you know what? We don't always react and act on our feelings. There's sometimes I feel like murdering the driver in front of me. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> we must see our self-righteousness as God does. Let me get back to that. You want to see how God sees our self-righteousness and how what I've displayed, their, you know, what's good, what's not? Isaiah 64, 6 says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Now, when you study this out, I'm going to get visual and graphic here for a second. But you have to understand what, what this scripture is saying. He is, Isaiah is speaking of the impurity from the Old Testament from women when they were on their menstrual cycle. They're impure. And it says, your self-righteousness as, is as to me as the menstrual rags. How you like self-righteousness now? See, it doesn't matter what you think about self-righteousness. What you think, it's what does he think? How does he see it? Romans 3, 10, 11 says this. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. Another truth about the righteousness of God is this. We as humans have no ability to rightly give out rewards or punishments based on righteousness. God does that. Because he's righteous. He gives out punishments and he gives out rewards. He brings blessings and he brings curses. We don't. You hear me? And not just in those areas. Listen to me. There's so many areas. You have to see your sin as it is. We have to view our sin and see that we have missed the mark. God, just, God has lined it up and we've missed it. And that's the same for any type of sin. We don't have a right to justify it. Point three. You guys are, thank God. What it's supposed to look like. What is righteousness supposed to look like? This morning as I was spending some time in prayer, the Lord spoke a few more things to me and I had to just write them in here. Be in the light. Be in the light. You ever notice when you start when you're a kid and you go off and you want to do something that's not righteous? We go in the dark. Right? You go in, you go in the dark. It's first, you remember all the first things you ever did, you go out away from light. 
or away from people that are like. When I was running amok, I was getting me away from all them crazy Christian folks that are light and maybe prophesying or speaking some things into me or pulling the covers. I do not want to be around none of those crazy people. Right? Righteousness is in the light. Now hear me. God is light. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So this is for everyone, okay? In him is no darkness at all. Anything that looks dark, that is dark, that has a dark condemnation or feel to it, that you can, it's, we as righteous people of sons and daughters of God should not be involved with it. No matter what the title is, no matter what the look, it's dark. There's no darkness in him. So do you think he wants darkness in his children? No. Be in the light. Now, Moses modeled this pretty awesomely in Exodus 33, 13. Listen, I want, I'm going to name, read off three people. Moses, David, and Paul. And we're going to read some verses from them. And I want you to hear their heart, how they model what, what hungering and thirsting for righteousness looks like. Exodus 33, 13. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully. Right? It seems like a lot of times now we, we want to tell God and make him understand us. But you don't understand, God. God, you need to understand how I feel. Right? We want to put him and make, put him in our box. And he's, he's got to jump through our hoops. Listen to the heart of, of, of Moses. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully. And to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. And remember that, Lord, these people of yours. <laughs> Let's look at David in Psalm 63, 1 through 6. He says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I'm going to jump ahead. Look at Paul in Philippians 3, 8 and 10. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. The righteousness of Christ denotes not only his absolute perfection, but is taken for perfect obedience to the law and suffering the penalty there in our seed. He's perfect in all of his ways. Because what that's saying is because Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly, crossed every T, dotted every I, fulfilled every law perfectly, he was declared righteous. The righteous law, he fulfilled the righteous law and paid the price for our sins. And imparted his righteousness to us. That's something to shout about. 
some of the things I've said to you, you may be thinking, boy, you said a lot. Um, and I have said a mouthful. But I, I want to read, and I wasn't, hadn't planned on this all week until this morning. The Lord took me to Romans, and many of you are familiar, but I want to read a couple chapters in context so you can hear God's heart. All right? And you can hear my heart. How many know his word speaks it very, very clearly and perfectly? Amen? I'm going to start in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. Now listen to this. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. What does the gospel do? It tells us how God makes us right, not how we make ourselves right. Amen? How God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who what? Suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. God has placed in every single one of us a conscience. Now, conscience means con is with Shunts is science, knowledge. Every one of us have been created with knowledge. And you say, with knowledge of what? Of right and wrong. Good and evil. Righteousness and unrighteousness. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Does that sound right? They knew God, but they created their own God. They didn't want to worship the righteous God. We're going to make our own God that he can, so he can go along with how we feel instead of us going along with how does, what does he say. And they began to think of foolish ideas. God was what, of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Listen to this. Here's the key. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created Instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex. Instead, indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. And men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. And since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them for their, for, to their foolish thinking 
and let them do things that should never be done. Did you hear that? That should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Now listen to this list, church. Every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. It's all in there. So you can say, well, I don't do that, and I don't do that sin. How about the rest of these? They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand and break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. This is a powerful one. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. See, we can't be on the side of encouraging folks in those areas, in any of those areas. You hear me? In any of those areas. Now listen, this, I love context, right? That's why I know this is not normal, but I'm going to read a lot of verses you get everything God's saying in context. Are you with me? You may think you can condemn such people. Isn't that funny that he puts that right after, right? But you were just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Whose justice? God's. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Don't we want anyone who is involved in some sinful lifestyle to understand how good and patient our God is? Or is he just good and patient for you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now that needs to be what motivates us, church. This is what has to motivate us. Because he does not want any of his sons and daughters going to the judgment. He does not want them going to hell. He is not okay with that. That's why we're here. So we must be his representatives to bring people out of darkness into light, to love on them out of the darkness into the light. Amen? But we also have to stand and speak the truth. We can't say that what God says is not okay is okay. So we can build up to him. And I know I felt it myself. I don't know how many times I felt that temptation to not speak the truth. You must, but you must do it in love. He says, he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. 
for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. I'm going to jump now to, to Romans chapter 3. Verse 3. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true, as the scriptures say about him. Right? Let man be a liar. Man says all kinds of things. This is okay, that's okay. Doesn't matter what blah, 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 right? What is God saying? God is true. He says, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair, then, for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view, <laughs> right? Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? God is entirely fair. None of us are. None of us are. We do not have the right. We've been hurt. We've been hurt. From, we will judge in, incorrectly. We will have a slander. We will have some sort of bent. God is right. He is fair. He is just. He is righteous. If he were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, well, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. And he goes on to say that all, all are sinners. No one's righteous, not even one. No one's truly wise. The saddest part is verse 17 and 18. It says, they don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. That's where we come in, church. They have no way to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. How are they going to find where peace is if we don't contain it? How are they going to know what the fear of God looks like if we don't have the fear of God? Come on. Jump to verse 21. I'm closing here. Don't worry, we're right on time. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Verse 21. Praise God for this. Now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And I would say this, we are made right with God by placing our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Now, what's the catch? This is true for everyone who believes that God is right. This is true for everyone who believes that God is right. Not you. Not me. It's true for everyone who believes that God is right. He can say it, church. He's the only one who sent his son to pay the price for sin and death. He's the one who put my sin and your sin on his righteous son. 
And sin was punished at the cross and declared us righteous. He has the right to declare what is right. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus has sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. Now God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight. When what? When they believe in Jesus Christ. When they agree with him, when they believe in him. Not when they tell him how he's supposed to fit in their box. You with me? Blessed are those hungering and thirsting after the righteousness, for they shall be filled. I know this has been a heavy message, and I tackled a few subjects that are taboo. See, I love people enough to tell the truth. We got to love people enough to tell the truth. That doesn't mean you got to throw rocks at them. You don't see Jesus do that. You didn't see Jesus, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery, rip her a new one. Tell her, what the heck were you thinking? You know that sin? No. He began writing in the dirt. He didn't even listen to all the accusations. And then he asked her, or he said, those who are, who are without sin, go ahead and pick up, the, pick up your stones. And he says, one by one, from young to old, they begin to drop their rocks. He said, woman, where's your accusers? She said, there's none, Lord. He says, no, neither do I. And that's the part we always, what was the next thing he said? Now go and sin no more. We've got to put some things first. There's an order. God has an order for things. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God, and what? His righteousness, and what? All of these things, all of the cares of the world, all of the things will be added to you. Why don't you close your eyes for me, with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We declare you are just, you are fair, and you are right. Lord, forgive us as a people, and, and I know there's probably not many of them in this room, but there's Christians and titled Christians that have thrown a lot of rocks. We see that even today over in the Middle East, the Jews and, and the Gentiles alike are still chucking rocks. They're just rock-chucking people. And Lord, we as Christians have picked up that 
have it. And Lord, I ask that, Lord, you would teach us to set the rocks down. Lord, we need to follow you in every example. You are just, you are right, but you also spoke truth. Lord, teach us to do that. Teach us to hunger and thirst after righteousness and to pursue righteousness, right living, to pursue lining up with what you say is right. Lord, help us to let go of everything in us that we believe is right and is wrong. Lord, let us examine ourselves, how our feelings are often misleading. Lord, let us value the truth over feelings. Let us speak the truth and love like you do so well. Let us not be the, the, the convictor. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who convicts so well. And Lord, I thank you when the Holy Spirit convicts me, he's not throwing rocks. I thank you for your grace, God. And I thank you that, as Titus said, your grace teaches us to not sin. I thank you for your patience. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those who have struggled, Lord, with thoughts. I pray that you bring truth right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for I know many people who've been delivered from all kinds of sin, from all kinds of lies. We thank you, Lord, that there is nothing too difficult for you. We thank you that you want your children free and in truth. You want your children walking in righteousness, free from the guilt and the shame. We thank you that you have created us in your image. Man and woman, in your image. We thank you for that. Lord, you are right. You're perfect in all your ways. You don't make mistakes. But I pray for healing in the communities, Lord, where they've been misled and lied to. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness as a people, Lord, who may have not modeled you real well. These are trying times. They are, they are challenging times. We are <laughs> squeezed and pressed and tried to be made to conform into things, Lord, that you're not okay with. But, Lord, we are also called to be loving and forgiving and long-suffering and display your, your fruits and your goodness and your mercies. Lord, we thank you that you don't make mistakes. You have put us on this planet for such a time as this because you have equipped us and you knew that we would be able to model you rightly. So, Lord, we ask for your healing in this room. And we ask that, Lord, we would be agents of healing for those outside of this room. Your word says we would know the truth, and the truth would make us free. In Jesus' name. If there's anyone that needs some prayer after service, you need some healing, you need some help with truth, with where things are at, how God is... What he's speaking to you, I would challenge you, please come forward. I'd love to pray with you. Um, if there's anyone else that might need a physical touch, 
please come forward. We'd love to lay hands and pray for you for healing. The rest of you, please enjoy the rest of your day and have a happy Father's Day. Amen? Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.